Happy Mother's Day. <laughs> um, so here's something you need to know about our church. You need to know that we're a church that, on one hand, recognizes that some of our national holidays have nothing to do with uh, Scripture or the kingdom, and they're, if you will, culture-made. And so we don't completely want to go with the culture and saying, especially what the culture views as that special holiday, that it's all there is to it. But on the other hand, we also want to be a church that recognizes that there are good aspects of these cultural holidays that are biblical, that we need to celebrate and honor. So, your pastor does this every Mother's Day. I don't just get up here and go, well, all the mothers stand up and let's clap and woohoo, Because we recognize that on Mother's Day, as much as it is a day to celebrate, we do that, that is also a very difficult day for others. And I could particularly think of a close friend of mine for whom today will be enormously difficult because she lost her oldest son last August in a tragic motorcycle accident. So what I do is I read this poem every year. And this year I have a, uh, uh, some, uh, oh, I don't know, addition to it that I wanted to share with you. To those who gave birth this year, And to those who are pregnant with new life, both expected and surprising, we celebrate with you. To all the moms who are in the trenches with the little ones every day and wear the badge of food and other stains, we appreciate you. To those who lost a child this year, to those who experienced loss through miscarriage, failed adoptions, We mourn with you. To those who walk the hard path of infertility, fraught with pokes and prods and tears and disappointment, we walk with you. To those who live through driving tests, medical tests, and overall testing of motherhood, we are better for having you in our midst. To those who have warm and close relationships with your children, we celebrate with you. But also to those who have disappointment, heartache, and distance with your children today, we sit with you. To those who lost their mothers this year, we grieve with you. To those who experienced abuse at the hands of your mother, We acknowledge your experience. This Mother's Day, we walk with you. To those who step-parent, we walk with you on these complex paths. To those who envisioned lavishing love on grandchildren, and yet that dream is not to be, we grieve with you. And to those who will have emptier nests in the upcoming year, we grieve. And for some of you, we rejoice with you. To those who place children up for adoption, we commend you for your selflessness and remember how you hold that child in your heart. 
to those who are single and long to be mothering your own children. We mourn and life has not turned out the way you long for it to be. Foster moms, mentor moms, spiritual moms, we need you. See, in the church, each woman should be looked to and honored whether or not she has physically birthed a child. The church is a surrogate family, a family in which everyone gets to be a mother, a father, a brother, and a sister, and a son, and a daughter to all the others. The church is a family that recognizes that each part needs the others, and each part is vital for the flourishing of the others. I do this every dedication when we dedicate a child. We remind ourselves that the church is a community that recognizes that the burdens and challenges and joys of raising children is a community affair because no mom, dad, or couple has the capacity or resources to shoulder this high calling on their own. It takes a community of men and women, married, unmarried, younger, and older, to mother and father the children of our church family. Ruth needs Naomi, and Naomi needs Ruth. Timothy needs Paul, and Paul needs Timothy. It's a significant part of how God designed parenting to be. Do you ever think about how when Jesus, right when he was 12 years old, his parents couldn't find him for three days. And in our culture, we go, call child services. But what we fail to recognize is that the reason why perhaps Jesus' parents didn't recognize where he was for three days is because in that culture, they expected the community around them to care for their children. Everyone understood and took for granted in that culture that fathering and mothering were shared community affairs. So today I remember that my children have many mothers, starting with the one who pours into them every day, continuing with the surrogate grandmas and grandmoms, moms, surrogate big sisters who speak into their lives regularly, some of whom have birthed children of their own and others who have not, but all of whom are vital. The powerful, wonderful women in our church who helped me and Jenny raise our children, I thank you. We thank you. As we honor mothers, as Jesus honored his own mother from the cross, entrusting her to the care of his beloved disciple John, who would from that point on become her son. Let's remember how necessary and how worthy of honor all the women are in our midst. I dare say that no nuclear family and no child in our church will ever be able to flourish without each and every one of you. Thank you. Moms. Today, we are concluding our sermon series, Walking with God. Before we do, I want to take about two minutes and I want to ask, how did the Holy Spirit prompt and speak to you this week? How did the Holy Spirit prompt and speak to you this week?
I'm asking you to share with us. Yeah. You know, people complain, we just come and sit and listen to you talk for two hours, which is not really true, but it feels like it, I know. Um, But this is an opportunity for us to dialogue, for real. Uh, You guys didn't hear that. She said, the Holy Spirit spoke and said, you need to be strong and persevere. That's Jamelin. Anybody else? Say it out loud so we could hear you. Okay. Huh? Say it again. Holy Spirit woke up Trevor at 3 a.m. to be here for the prayer vigil. Carlton? Carlton, Holy Spirit said you need to be a better leader. Let's keep going. How did the Spirit speak to you? How did you hear him this week? Do you hear that? That's powerful. Holy Spirit spoke to our brother and said, you need to forgive yourself. You need to forgive yourself. Forgive yourself. Anybody else? Go ahead. Holy Spirit said, don't fear. Don't be afraid. Holy Spirit spoke and said, call this person so you could spend time with them. Holy Spirit spoke to our sisters and said, obedience is costly. Obedience is costly. Obedience is costly. Anybody else? Be patient and gentle with the coworker. And no, he doesn't work for me. Be patient and gentle with the coworker. takes both truth and love. I'm actually talking about that today. See, you keep going. Just maybe one or two more people. (laughs) Slow down and be present. Watch this, watch this. How many of us have heard that in the past or are hearing that currently? Raise your head. Do you see that? Do you see that? Okay, all right. One more person. Let go. I am God. Let go. Wow, you guys just pretty much preached my sermon for me today. So, moms. There are a lot of uh, moms visitors today. So give me like two minutes to recap where we've been. We've been coming around this enormous theme, which we barely, barely scratch the surface on. And that is this, the Christian life is only possible when the Holy Spirit who lives in us lives through us, this Christian life for us. We've come around this theme and this idea that the Christian life was never supposed to be lived from this perspective of Jesus says, I died and rose again for you, forgave you of your sins, and I'll go do it. But he says in John chapter 14, and we've come around this verse just about every week, I'll ask the Father and he'll give you another helper to be with you forever. You know him, you know him, you know him, you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you that at the moment of conversion, the Holy Spirit, Jesus and the person of the Holy Spirit comes to live in 
us to do that, to do for us that which we can't do on our own. And the Bible describes the Christian life, please listen, the Bible describes the Christian life as one in which we walk in intimacy with the Holy Spirit every moment, every second of our lives. And the picture that we have is Way back at the garden, the Bible says that Adam and Eve, the first human beings, walked with God in the garden. They walked with God in the garden. A picture of intimacy. And that has always been God's design. So think about this Bible trajectory. God walks with Adam and Eve. Jesus comes down, takes on flesh and bone, walks with his disciples. And before he ascends to heaven, holy cow, he has the audacity to say, check this out. It is to your advantage that I go away. Because when I go away, I will send somebody to you who will live inside of you. So Jesus is saying, you thought Adam and Eve walking with God was incredible. You thought people walking with Jesus on planet earth was incredible. He says the best yet is when I come in the person of the Holy Spirit and walk with you. Now we need to somehow come around that truth. Because we don't quite believe that yet. And the picture of the Bible from Genesis Revelation was one in which God pursues lost, sinful humanity so that we would walk with him again. Can I just say this? This is for like, I don't know, somebody who's here today. Your spiritual journey will be radically transformed when you realize that God is not somebody who hides and makes it as difficult as possible for you to find him. The picture of the spiritual life was one in which our God pursues and seeks and comes after while we do the hiding. So I don't know who needs to hear this, but let me just say, if you go, I don't have the energy to run back to him, God says to you, just stop and stand still. Can I say that again? I just, I'm just all over the place, Peter, and I'm just embroiled in sin and all kinds of mess, and I don't have what it takes to run back to God. God goes, here's all it takes. Just stop running and stand still. And I'm going to come after you. I'm going to come after you. So the rest of the Bible... Paul describes, the New Testament writers describe then this walk with God. Check this out. Walking according to the Spirit. Now, the challenge is we have a choice actually to walk according to the Spirit or walk according to the flesh. And we've talked quite a bit about that. Walking according to the Spirit, walking according to the flesh. And so we kind of parked ourselves in Galatians 5 where Paul describes the two ways, the two approaches to life. And Galatians 5 is where we've been at. So let's look at this passage and we're going to finish it today. Galatians 5. So I say, walk by the Spirit. Walk according to the Spirit. Now if you're new here, what does that look like, Peter? Here's a definition. Let's all read it together. Ready? Here we go. Walking according to the Spirit is living my life sensitive to and dependent upon the inner promptings and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit in such a way that His influence and His leading dominate our entire being. Walking according to the Spirit is living my life sensitive to and dependent upon the inner promptings. We've been saying over and over again, just as you did at the beginning of the service, that God speaks and we have the capacity to hear his voice. The challenge is that the Bible says that the wisest a man or woman who not only hears his voice, but who what? Obeys. 
Somebody said that earlier today, right? The Bible says, wise is the man or woman who not only hears the voice, but obeys on the instruction. That is who he is wise, who she is wise. Now, the result of that is what Jesus said in John 14, 21. Those who accept my commandments and obey them are the ones who love me. I will love them and reveal myself to each of them. This is so powerful because this is what Jesus is saying. We go, God, if I just knew how this deal was going to work out, Oh, I totally obey. God, if I just knew how this whole thing was going to work out, how it's all going to pan out, if I had some clarity about the end point, oh, I'd so totally be there. Here's the challenge, though. You ready? Here's the challenge, though. You ready? Here's the challenge. You ready? You need clarity? God clarifies in the midst of obedience, never before. God clarifies in the midst of obedience never before. Read your Bibles. So we sitting there going, oh God, I'd be way more generous and trust you with my finances if I knew at the end of this I'd be okay. And God says, you'll never know about my faithfulness until you risk. You ever wonder why so many of us walking around with confusion, lack of clarity? Because our posture, when we ask for God's will, many of us, this is our posture. We say, God, I need to know your will. We don't ask so that we could discern his will. We ask so that we could determine once we find out whether we want to do it or not. In other words, we're going to God and going, I need your will, you know, for consideration. If you were God, and I know some of you think you are, if you were God, would you want to speak clearly to somebody who comes and says, tell me what you think, you know, and then afterwards I'll think about it. But that's our heart's attitude. You wonder why there's lack of clarity in our lives? Pray this dangerous prayer. You ready? You ready? I said this last week. Pray this prayer and you'll be amazed. At, oh my goodness, the clarity. Pray this prayer. I want your will more than anything. <laughs> see, see, it's going to be one of those mornings, okay? I'm serious. I'm serious. Those of you particularly in your 20s, 30s, God, I want your will more than my desire to be married. And you'll be amazed at how clearly you'll hear from God. God, I want your will more than to be able to finish school. God, I want your will more than be able to live in that place. God, I want your will more than anything. And you'll be amazed at the level of clarity. I'm going to say it again. Tweet it when you go home. God clarifies in the midst of obedience and never before. And the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. We talk about spiritual breathing. (gasps) Exhale. I can't breathe in. But you can. I can't live this life. But you can, Holy Spirit. And you create space. Can I just tell you something? 
So last Sunday, afterwards, um, Shireen over here came up to me and said, I got to tell you something. She said, you know that breathing exercise? And I was going, all right, what do you not like about it? And she's, she says, no, I got to tell you, Pastor Peter, um, physically, I realize I can't fully breathe out. I'm like, huh? So I try going, I can't, and I try and breathe out. And as I'm about to breathe out, there is this like knot in my stomach that just won't let me like completely breathe out. And she said this, she said, you know what that knot is? That knot is my desire for control. And I, I, and it, it just, it just, lodged in there. And she said, it was like a spiritual insight from God saying, see that little knot is keeping you from fully saying, I can't. And I, saw, I said to her, I, said, I bet you there's lots of those spiritual knots every Sunday and all over the place. How many of you have not been able to go, hi, for real, for real, I can't live this life on my own. <gasps> I need your filling. And uh, I need to move on, you guys. And in such a way that his influence and his leading dominate our entire being. Two truths real quick. One, you cannot go faster than the one you're following. You cannot go faster. This is common sense. This isn't brilliant spiritual insight. This is like physics or geometry. Uh, what, I, I don't know. I, whatever. whatever. You know what I'm saying. You know what I'm saying. Is it physics? No, it's not really physics. Geometry, maybe, kind of. It's common sense. You can't go faster than the one you're following. And here's the spirit truth I'm coming to realize, right? It's amazing what can be accomplished when we wait on God to lead us out. It's equally amazing on the amount of mess that we create when we charge out on our own. And God says, I need you to follow Every second, every moment, God actually cares. Tommy, God actually cares about what you do for the next 10 minutes. And listen, the Christian life, this is just me. The Christian life is one in which every second, every moment of our lives, we are so sensitive to the spirit that he is prompting and he is leading us. And it is following his leading every second, every moment. And those small decisions of life that he gives us clarity, I think, about the big things in life. Does God have a plan for the next five years? Of course he does. But God never goes, here's your five-year plan. Do you know why? Because if he said, here's your five-year plan, you'd be all about the five-year plan and not give a second thought to God. Thank you for the five-year plan. Here I go. And God's going, whoa, 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 whoa. What about me and walking with? Second truth is you cannot follow God in neutral. You cannot follow God in neutral. Following God requires total trust and total surrender. The abundant life Jesus promised is experienced when we choose, and listen to this, mystery and adventure of following him over security. American Christians, how did security become like a biblical value? 
How is security like a dominant value for some of us? Well, I'm risk averse, Peter. Here's my question. How in the world could you ever imagine a faith that doesn't require risk? Doesn't faith and risk kind of go together? I know following Jesus will not lead to life of ease or convenience or comfort. And I've said this to you guys over and over again. But God is never committed to our comfort. He's committed to us being conformed to the likeness of his son. He's committed to you and me and to our holiness. And as much as we hate to admit it, and it happened again two weeks ago, God came up to me and said, let me tell you something. I said, you need to know, and you tell anybody that comes to know, that without the dark places, difficult places, hardship, failures, without hitting rock bottom, I would have never been transformed. I would have never changed. And those places and those times that we think are a royal waste of time. God, what am I doing here? It's like, can I just say this? This is me. I don't think it, I don't find it. This is just my opinion. I think there's a reason why so many of us in our 20s and 30s have our plans sort of blow up and we find ourselves in a holding pattern. Maybe, maybe it's because God's going, I need you to learn how to follow me now. I need you to how to follow me like in the next 10 minutes. This is my 20-some years of pastoring. I go, that's uncanny. Why is it that so many people in their 20s, 30s have the plans and it blows up and they're working this job and that and they're just sort of lost and confused. I'm just going, maybe, just maybe. Again, I don't see it in the Bible, but maybe it's because God's going, child, I need you to learn how to follow me here in this next 10 minutes. And you know what happens though? is you'll emerge with clarity and confidence about your purpose in life and your calling and your mission because you hear the voice of God in your soul. And I tell you what, when the voice of God becomes your compass and you live your life with clarity and direction and purpose, you'll become a rare commodity in a world that's searching for direction. You'll stand out like a sore thumb. Because everybody around you is searching for direction and you live with absolute clarity and purpose because you hear the voice of God in your soul. I got to move on. Galatians 5, 16. So I say, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify desires of the flesh. For the flesh sets his desire against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another so you may not do the things that you please. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Now the deeds of the flesh are obvious. And here it is. Paul says the opposite of walking according to the spirit is walking according to the flesh. And walking according to the flesh, for those of us that grew up in church, it's not some sexual deviant thing somebody's doing in a corner. It's an approach, a bent towards all of life. What is that? Here's the definition. Walking according to flesh is trusting in my strength and my determination to bring about whatever changes I feel need to take place. And this is so ingrained within us. So ingrained, I had to say last week, so ingrained within us that it sometimes requires significant rock-bottom kinds of experience before we are dislodged from this illusion that we can do, do it on our own. Retaining control over my life. Why aren't we walking more according to the Spirit? Because of you, because of me. We don't want to be led. More specific, we don't want to be led by anyone other than ourselves. We want to be in control. 
And it's giving primary consideration to my needs and my desires and my appetites and my fears when making decisions. And I don't want to spend a lot of time here because we spent the entire sermon talking about this last week. And I said we give lip service to how he is Lord, but it's my time, my money, my energy, my family. And I said this last week and I'll say it again and then we'll move on. If God answered all your prayers for the last 30 days, God answered all of your prayers for the last 30 days, how many things in the world would change versus in your own little world. Look at our prayer request, folks. Come on now. Come on now. Me, 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 me. My, 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 my. Verse 19. Here we go. Now, the deeds of the flesh, and Paul says, this is the result. This is the byproduct of walking according to flesh. You don't look at this list and go, well, I'm going to try really hard not to do that. I'm going to try really, that's how we've been taught in church. I'm going to try really hard not to do that. Paul says, no, no, no. This is the inevitable result when you walk according to the flesh. Okay? And he lists a bunch of them. Let's look at them. These are the flesh are evident. Immorality, impurity, sex, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying. Oh, this is an ugly list. Drunkenness, carousing, and things like these. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Well, we talked about just two last week. Sorcery. Witchcraft, it's when you manipulate the supernatural for our own good. When we try and manipulate the supernatural for our own good. And I said, how many of us do that? We all do on a regular basis. How? We try and get God into our debt so that he will do what we want him to do. Can I just say this? What if our problem and our sins wasn't our goodness, uh, wasn't our wickedness, but our goodness? What if the thing that keeps us from walking according to the Spirit is the sin, not of wickedness and doing bad things, but what if it's the good things that we do to try and get God into our debt? What if our sin, for some of us who grew up in church and we're like, I don't do all the bad things. What if the thing that's keeping us from spirit-filled life is that we do all these good things so we could get God in our debt so that we could have him do what we want him to do? And we hold that against God when he doesn't answer us. I just want to share this. I, when I was in college, this mentality, this, 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 uh, this attitude was so ingrained, this religiosity was so ingrained within us that there was an entire generation of people, singles, who walked around said, they mistook uh, Psalm 27 for, uh, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. It's amazing what we can twist the Bible verses to mean. That verse isn't saying if you delight yourself in the Lord, God's going to give you what you want. That verse is saying delight yourself in the Lord and God will give you ultimately what will satisfy you, which is what? Himself. Idolatry is when good things become ultimate things. I said this last week, and there were a number of you that wrote this prayer request. Especially, let me talk to you, those aren't, aren't Christian. See, the thing about Sunday mornings, I try and talk to you that are not Christian because this idolatry thing is when we make good things into ultimate things. And that is, we take the things that God has given us and we look at that and go, if I had that, I would have meaning. If I had that, I'm significant. If I had that, I am of value. If I had that, I am of worth. And so what happens is when we take anything, family, career, money, significant success, when we take anything and we do that, we say, I am significant because of that. I have value because of that. I have worth because of that. That thing ultimately controls you. It controls me. 
Do you realize that? Do you realize how much power we give something and someone when we say, if I have you, as long as I do that, I'm okay. It exercises enormous power over us. I'm telling you, there is not a single free person here. We are all in service to something or someone. The question is to who and to what? We are all controlled by something or someone. You guys, I'm free. Nobody controls me. How can you say you're free when the thing that you freely chose to do, now you can't live without? Oh, I'm free, all right. No, you're not. How are you free? How are you free? The question is not, am I happy? Stop asking that dumb question. I'm sorry, it's just so depressing. Ask, am I free? Ask, am I free? Ask, am I free? Sin creates the illusion of freedom, but in the end, sin fools us into seeking freedom from God rather than finding freedom in God. What else... Whatever else Jesus came to do, I'm telling you today, one thing is clear. Jesus came to set you free. God's not a warden. He's a deliverer. Verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit. Say this with me. But the fruit of the Spirit. Come on, say it like you mean. Ready? But the fruit of the Spirit. Meaning... The following list has nothing to do with your determination. It has nothing to do with your discipline. It has nothing to do with your willpower. It has nothing to do with you. It is what the fruit of the Spirit. Do you get that? Do you get that? Because we look at that list and go, I need to be more patient. I need to be more kind. I need to be more loving. I'm going to pull myself by the bootstraps. And the Bible says just stop right there. Because as soon as you do that, you're walking according to the flesh. Jesus said this as clearly as he possibly could in John 15, 4. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I'm the vine, you're the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, it is he, it is he and she that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. And then I thought about this week, why does God do that? And then the answer came to me. Do you know why God says there's no other way but by my spirit? I'll just talk for myself. Because if I could do it, I would be the most monstrous, self-righteous, judgmental person in the world. Because if I thought I could be kind on my own strength, do you know how I would treat people who are unkind? If I thought I could be more self-controlled on my own strength, do you know how I would look at men who lack self-control? It would get real ugly, real fast, wouldn't it? And God says, I do this, so I get all the glory. Think about it. This is what's destroying the church. Men and women who go, I did it. Why can't you? I did it. Why can't you? If we realize I had nothing to do with it, it's all him. Now, how can we walk together? Oh, guys, 
I wish I had more time to talk about that. We've got to move on. Do you know what? This has also guided me. Guys in ministry, women in ministry, pastors, leaders, counselors, can I just tell you something? I have so much confidence in the reality of Jesus that I feel no pressure to make someone be or act a certain way. Because ultimately, it is God who changes people, not me. Not me. That doesn't mean we don't pray for them. That doesn't mean we don't keep them accountable. That doesn't mean we don't walk with them. But recognize where the focus is. It's not you. It's not me. Never has been. Never will be. He changes people. So you could be patient. And you could be... Verse 22. Let's look at this. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, and faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Paul is saying right here that there's an objective standard by which you could tell if you're walking according to the Spirit. Jesus also alluded to this. Fruit, you could tell. Fruit, you could tell. Matthew 12, 33. Make a good tree, a tree good and its fruit will be good. Make a tree bad and its fruit will be bad. Bad, for a tree is recognized by its fruit. I'm going to spend one minute on this and move on. It is absolutely not okay for a child of God to go, I'm a Christian, but none of these characteristic attributes describe me. Don't judge me. It's not. It is not what scripture says. Okay? I know. That's not what scripture says. Please, that's not what scripture says. The Bible says, listen, the Bible scripture says, if you have the Holy Spirit inside of you, there will be a difference in your life. If the Holy Spirit lives inside of you, there will be these characteristic attributes in your life. No, no, no. Here's the balance, balance. The balance is this. All fruits start out small. Sometimes they're barely perceptible. Go to the apple orchard. I don't know. I'm just making this up. Go to the apple orchard. I'm going to sound like a farmer, but I'm not. I don't know. Go to the apple orchard like in June, you know, when the little apples kind of come up because you can't really... My point is, when you go to an apple orchard, before it's in full bloom, apples are barely perceptible. Let me be serious for a second. Let me be serious for a second. Sometimes we make two mistakes. We look at fruit that's there but barely perceptible. We ask and demand that person to grow up quicker than they are. That's when we err on the side of, I'm truthful, but we're not loving. But we also can make the mistake, you guys, of not keeping each other accountable and saying, you have the Holy Spirit inside of you, child of God. Why aren't you different? Why aren't you different? If the Holy Spirit lives inside of us, we ought to look different. Our lives ought to be different. And these characteristic attributes ought to be displayed. Now, a couple of things real quick, and then I'm going to look at some of these. I don't know about you guys, but I have non-Christian friends who are way more loving than Christians. Can I get an amen? I have more non-Christian friends sometimes who demonstrate more fruit-type character than Christians. They're more kind, more loving, more patient. And just about everybody I know, Christian or not, exercise self-control. How can you distinguish if it's fruit of the Spirit versus temperament or just, just who they are? Two things. One, you know it's a fruit of the Spirit because it's not environmentally sensitive. This is why, listen, spirit-filled, walking according to the spirit Christians make the greatest testimony when they endure through chaos of life. It's one thing to have peace when everything's going well. 
I heard somebody on Facebook said, I experience so much joy when I'm on vacation. Well, no does, sure not. Who doesn't experience joy when you're on vacation? But how do you experience joy when you get news of cancer? It's one thing to love your family. It's supernatural to love your enemy. See, for some of us, what we think is fruit is merely the fruit of favorable circumstances and environments. And when the winds begin to change, when the winds begin to change, this is why Christians can turn on such ugly ogres when life gets hard. This is why Christians, I didn't know you had that in you. (laughs) This is why godly men and women up and leave their spouses and go, you're a pastor, you're a Christian leader. What's going on? What's going on? What's going on? Let me ask you, is your character environmentally sensitive or does it endure through chaos of life? Is your character fickle like the Chicago weather? Oh, she's so sunny and warm. It's 74 degrees Monday. Tuesday, she's cold and nasty. It's 35 degrees. I looked at that map the two weeks ago and I go, that describes a lot of Christians. Sunny and warm. Life is good. Hardships, difficulties. God, you're not there. You don't care. Secondly, secondly, it's not just environmentally sensitive. It's all growing together. It's all growing together. This, by the way, is an insight that I'm hoping will punch some of you in the face. Like the gospel. (laughs) I just said that because, you know, this guy named Nathan Albert, he Facebook messaged me and said, I miss being punched in the face every Sunday with the gospel. Do you know why the word fruit is singular? And not fruits? Do you know why? Here's the thing. Let me try and explain. I, I, I can pretend I explain why. Let me tell you why it's fruit singular and not fruits plural. Because I hear Christians talk about, you know, the fruits of the Spirit. And they li- it's fruit. It's singular. Even an immigrant like me knows. Fruit. It's singular, not plural. Why is that? Because here's the thing. You and I look at that list and we go, there's some things that I'm good at and some things I'm not. See, some of us go, I'm loving. I'm the loving type. But man, I really, really struggle with self-control. Some of us go, I'm really, really kind, but I really struggle with being patient. In other words, we look at this and we go, there's some things that I'm really good at, and there's some things that I'm really bad at. And Paul says, if you're walking according to the Spirit, that is impossible. Why? Because if you're walking according to the Spirit, all of these character attributes grow together. Let me give you one example. And you, brother, back there, this is what I was going to talk about. Some of us are naturally gentle. You know, like me. I'm inherently a gentle person. <laughs> Thank you for laughing at that. Okay. All right. All right. Well, I say, Paige, there are some people naturally sweet. Nobody makes me for naturally sweet. There are people who are naturally sweet. I'll call you the loving type. But you struggle in being assertive and speaking truth. Then there's some of us who are naturally assertive, like me. I'm naturally assertive. I'm naturally confrontational. But I have a really, really hard time being sweet and gentle. Now, here's the thing. When you're walking according to the flesh, our character is an expression of our self-centeredness. What do I mean? You are naturally sweet because you're a coward. 
You're natural. Not all of you. Many of you are naturally sweet because you're a coward. Why? The reason why you can't be assertive and speak truth and confront people is because you can't stand the thought of not being liked. You can't stand the thought of losing that friendship. So you're naturally sweet. But love without truth isn't really love because you're not giving them what they need. Some of us are naturally assertive, like your pastor. And being naturally assertive is a form of arrogance, a form of self-centeredness. And I love telling people off. I love writing people off. I love telling them what they're doing wrong. And very few times I'll take into consideration their feelings and emotions. But my assertiveness is truth without love, which really isn't truth. Because when you write people off, you're telling them that they're beyond hope. And I'm telling you right now, nobody is beyond hope. So in our natural temperament, of course, some of those is me, some of those is others. But the Bible says when the spirit begins to work in you, you become all of those things. Let me give you an example. So self-centeredness gets replaced by God-centeredness, which, by the way, is definition of spiritual maturity. You love God, love others, versus loving yourself. And when that begins to work in you, here's what happens to the naturally gentle person. You're naturally gentle, but you're able to speak truth into someone's life and be assertive because you know that what they need is truth from you because it's a loving thing to do. And you're able to speak truth because you're more concerned about their well-being than whether you're liked. And if you're naturally assertive, here's what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit comes and goes, do you recognize the greatness of the soul in front of you? How dare you think that they're beyond redemption? You weren't beyond redemption. So you're able to speak truth, but do it with deep compassion and love. So you're able to speak truth and love because of the greatness of the soul is in front of you. And that soul is great in front of God. So naturally gentle people become truth-speaking, assertive people. Naturally assertive people become gentle, loving people. In other words, we don't just have, I'm the loving type, I don't speak truth. I'm the truth type, I don't speak love. We become followers of Jesus who speak truth in love. Are all these growing together? Are all these growing together? Or you look at them and go, well, some of them is me. If they're not all growing together, you might not be growing in any of them. Now, Paul lists these things and he just moves on. Why? Again, let me just say, it's not try and strive to do these things. He says, it's a byproduct. It's a result. And then he just moves on. So what I'm going to do, I'm not spending a lot of time. I'm going to spend like two, three minutes on three of these and then we're going to move on. One, love. What is love? It's serving the needs of other people for their sake, not yours. Serving the needs of other people for their sake, not yours. That means a couple things. That means that when you are growing in love, you don't give up on people. You don't give up on difficult people. You don't give up on needy people. You don't give up on mistake-prone people. If you're growing supernaturally in Holy Spirit love, you don't give up on people. Now, this doesn't mean that sometimes you need to cut off toxic, dangerous relationships. This means that you and I simply don't go, well, you know what? You're not meeting my needs anymore, so we're done. You don't give up on people. Secondly, secondly, if you're growing in love, if you're growing in love, you are growing 
to love people and choosing relationships, not depending on what the pay is for, payoff is for you, but for them. See, relationships out there are mutually exclusive. Every relationship out there in the world is, what can you do for me? What can I do for you? What can you do for me? What can I do for you? How is this relationship going to help me advance the social circles? How is this advance gonna, my career? What is this relationship going to do? It's transactional. But when you're growing in love, check this out, you begin to serve people who can do absolutely nothing for you. Husbands, if you're growing in love for your wife, your posture is one of, I love you unconditionally. And that means I love you not because of what you do for me, but I love you simply because you're worthy of it. Major conviction from the Holy Spirit this week, you guys, as I thought about this. Because as supposedly Christian pastor, I looked at all my relationships and I said, how many of these relationships, Peter, do you have even though they could do absolutely nothing for you? See, to me, can I just say something? Do Do you realize this is the beauty of a community like New Community? Do you realize that you are surrounded by people who potentially could do absolutely nothing for you? How are you doing growing in love for them? How are you doing growing in love for them? Are you constantly about, what can you do for me? What can, even if it's just a little, I get you in my social circle. I get, can you truly say, you, I serve you, even though I get nothing out of it? Secondly, joy. Joy is to delight in God for who he is in himself and not for what he gives you. You see how the fruit of the Spirit is the opposite of walking according to the flesh? Flesh says, I serve God because he's useful. The gospel says, I serve God because he's beautiful. Joy is delighting in God for who he is in himself. Nehemiah 8.10. I love this verse. I love this verse. For the joy of the Lord is your strength. This means that an absence of joy will create weakness. Church, I'm saying it again. The joy of the Lord is my strength. That means an absence of joy will create weakness. This is the reason why you never go eat at a restaurant or you go grocery shopping if you're starving. Why? Because everything on the menu looks really good. If you have no joy and right now you are deeply filled with discontent, sin looks really appetizing. If you right now are bored with life. If you right now are, I just have so much discontent. If you right now are, nim, 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 I guarantee it, you have an enormous vulnerability to temptation. This is the reason why the Bible says over and over again, rejoice in the Lord always. I said again, rejoice. Your joy Your joy, your joy is what keeps you from being vulnerable to temptation. It's not willpower. It's when I am satisfied in this. Why would I want that? Now, here's the thing I learned from Henry now, my favorite author. 
Joy doesn't just happen to you. You have to choose it. You have to choose it. What do I mean? We think joy is my personality. We think joy is my circumstances. We think joy. That's why all of us students go, oh, I'd be so much happier when I graduate. You graduate. Oh, I'd be so much happier when I get a job. Get a job. I'd be so much happier when I get married. Get married. I'd be so much happier if I had kids. Get kids. I'd be so much happier when they leave and then you're sitting at home crying because they left. What is that? All of us live with the deep contentment, discontentment, because our lives are lived from the perspective of when that happens. And when that happens is never going to happen. That's elusive. It's not real. This is the reason why the Bible says, this is the day that the Lord has made. This, this is the day of the Lord. What does it mean? This day, today, with this pains, with these unanswered prayers, this day, with all of these hardships and trials, this day is the day that I will rejoice. People who rejoice in the Lord don't deny the sadness. They don't deny the darkness. They don't deny the disappointments of life. But their joy is permanent and enduring because it's not found in circumstances. It's found in God who endures through all of life. Peace is confidence and rest and God's wisdom rather than our own. Confidence. Last week I talked about how Christians erroneously go, I felt peace of God. It must be God's will. And I said, that's buffoonery. That's stupid. And they all point to, what about the verse in the Philippians where it says, you'll have peace that surpasses. Let me tell you what that is. What would be the context? That peace that surpasses all understanding is a peace that comes from trusting in our Heavenly Father's goodness and not peace as a warm fuzzy of God going, there, you're doing what I want. It's a peace as a result of trust. Not confirmation that you are in God's will. Get out of the driver's seat. Get out. Get out of the driver's seat. You don't belong in it. Church, are you hearing me? You're not qualified. I'm not qualified to sit on the throne. That's why we're so anxious and worried. You ever have a job you're unqualified for? You will freak out. You are unqualified for that job of being the master of the universe. The sooner you and I go, I trust you. I'm not in charge of outcomes. I have three beautiful children, and I love them the best I can, but I'm not in charge of their outcomes. I do my best in ministry, and I give myself to faithfulness, but I'm not in charge of the outcome of what happens. You work the best you can, save up the best you can, but you are not in charge of the outcomes. And every opportunity we worry is an opportunity to say, God, I'm going to entrust this to your care and get out of the driver's seat. Love, joy, peace. How are you doing? How am I doing? You don't pursue these things. It's a byproduct. And I'll read the last two verses and then show you the beauty of the gospel, which I love. Can you tell? I love... Because it gives us the power and the motivation for how we do this. Verse 24, those who belong to Christ have been crucified, the flesh with its passions and desires. I love this last verse. If we live by the Spirit, 
let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Everybody look up here because I'm going to go through the entire Bible in two minutes. Genesis to Revelation. Genesis. In the beginning, everything was fruitful. Paradise. 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 Everything was fruitful. And God says, you see all this beautiful fruit? You could eat any of it except one. By the way, we go, mean old God. (laughs) Any of it except one. Mean old God. Yeah. And God says, it's forbidden fruit. Don't eat of it. Why was it forbidden? Because that fruit meant I want to be my own master, savior, and Lord, and not you. We ate it thinking it was going to be the sweetest fruit of all, but it turned out to be bitter, toxic, deadly. Adam and Eve's disobedience passed down to each and one of us. And in Deuteronomy, God says to the nation of Israel, Be aware so that there will not be among you a man, a woman, or family, or tribe whose heart turns away today from the Lord your God to go and serve the God of those nations. That's idolatry. That's idolatry. That's idolatry. That's idolatry. So that there will not be among you a root that bears gall and wormwood. The result of the sin of idolatry, the result of being my own master and Lord is wormwood and gall. And in case you're wondering, wormwood is a bitter herb and gall is literally poisonous fruit. And God says, if you choose the route of idolatry, being your own masters and Lord, the result will not be fruitfulness in life. It'll be death. It'll be thorns. It'll be thistles. It'll be wormwood and gall. And yet man and woman continue to choose. Continue to choose. Worshipping other idols. Worshipping other gods. And instead of life and fruit bearing, the result is death. Death spiritually. Death relationally. Death physically in every way. God says, I love you too much. I'm not going to leave that to be the case. I'm going to begin a rescue mission. God begins a rescue mission by sending his one and only son who lives a life we should have lived. He bears the fruit. He lives a perfect life and earns for us the righteousness, the perfect life deserves. And then he dies on the cross to pay for our sins. And do you know, do you know, do you know, when Jesus is dying on the cross, there is this verse. They offered Jesus wine to drink mixed with gold. Do you know what the gospel is? The gospel is Jesus drinks the poison so we could have life. You never saw that verse, did you? The gospel is Jesus comes and says, I will bear the, watch this, thorns and thistles so that you could bear fruit. The Bible is Jesus says, I come and I am cast out from the presence of God as I talked about last week so that you and I could what? Belong. The Bible says you and I could bear fruit. Because Jesus took the poison. And sit there and go, how do we know though for sure that at the end God is going to restore all things and do this incredible work in our hearts and our lives? You ready? Cece, come on up. (laughs) Do you remember what Paul says in Romans 8? (laughs) We have the, say with me, first fruits of the Spirit. Is this good news to anybody? 
Let me tell you what this is saying. This is saying, if you're sitting here wondering, how do we know for sure that that thing that God promised in Genesis all the way out to Revelation, how do we know that we will one day bear fruit? How do we know that the whole world that's fallen and marred and, and destroyed will bear fruit? How do we know that God is one day going to restore, renew everything, and we will once again walk with God and bear fruit? How do we know? The Bible says the Holy Spirit right now in you and the fruit that your life is bearing is the testimony of my promise. Is that good news to anybody? See, see, I don't know what to do with that. Is that good news? And how dare we think, oh, Holy Spirit, you know, the Holy Spirit is the world looking at you and me going, how do you know that God's going to do that incredible thing? And the Holy Spirit's work in your life and my life is the evidence and testimony. You see that? That's what God's going to do. How do you learn to be patient with others? God was patient with you. How do you learn to be loving towards others? Think about his infinite love for you. How do you learn to be more kind? It's his kindness that leads us to repentance. Fix your eyes on him. Fix your eyes on him. Let's pray together. Oh, man. Jesus. Ah, Jesus. You are so good. You are so, so, so good. You are so, so good. You are so, so good. You know, for five weeks, I pray that the Holy Spirit will speak and make it abundantly and crystally clear this morning at this right moment to you, every single one of you, that he would make clear whether you've been walking without even knowing it according to the flesh or whether you are walking according to the Spirit. We spent eight weeks saying beginning of transformation and change begins with rigorous honesty. Rigorous honesty. No time to pretend. He already knows. So it'll be healing and freeing to you. And he gets an opportunity to do your work. Have you been living your entire life, even as a Christian, trusting in your own strength and your own determination to bring about whatever changes you think ought to be made by retaining control over your life and giving ultimate consideration to your needs, your desires, and your appetites? Or are you living your life sensitive to and dependent upon the inner promptings and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit in such a way that His influence 
His leading will dominate your life. Where are you, child of God? Where are you? I'm going to give you 30 seconds just to quietly sit and pray. And then at the end, 30 seconds, I'm going to lead us in a prayer of one sentence. Four words. Four word sentence. If you mean it, even if you're scared to death, which is okay, it's part of faith. If you're scared to death, if you mean it, say it. Say it out loud. If you want it to be your desire, this prayer, say in your heart, God, I want it to be my desire, then say it. If you're not ready to say it, don't say it. And ask God to give you the willingness. Here's the prayer. Father, have your way. Father, have your way. I want your will more than anything. I want your will my life more than anything. I want your will for my life more than anything. Father, have your way. I want to encourage and invite those of you if this is your prayer I'm going to say it like four or five times you say it with me you say it with me Father have your way Father have your way Father have your way now for some of you that feel comfortable Stretch your hands out. Don't, don't clench it like a fist. Open your hands. Open your palms. No one else is looking. Stretch it out in front of you. Stretch it out in front of you. And pray this with me. I want your will more than anything. Say it with me. 
I want your will more than anything. Again, I want your will more than anything. One more time, I want your will more than anything. One more time, I want your will more than anything. Father, have your way.